please stand for the reading of God's word. This is Romans 8, 22 through 25. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, folks. Good morning, good morning. The energy feels good in here this morning, doesn't it? It does to me, at least. Uh, I'll also say I'm, I'm happy to be back. I was in uh, L.A. for my birthday two weeks ago, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quick little shout out to myself. And then, uh, and then last week, the, uh, the junior hires and the, uh, the high schoolers took me to winter camp. That was fun. I'm glad to be back, though, suffice it to say. So we're here, and we are closing out this morning uh, the, 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 final, the final week in our series that we started in the first week of the year called The Practices. And we're really just trying to say we do really good, River City. We do really good at hearing things. We do really good at understanding complex theological concepts. And we do really good at um, hearing. And yet James, as kind of our thematic guy here, is trying to say, don't just be hearers of this thing. Do it. Do it, huh? Be about it. As Christians, we want to be about that life, not about that cool idea. I want to be about that compassionate life. I want to be about that loving life. I want to be about that forgiving life. I want to be about that merciful life. I want to be about that generous life. I don't want to just talk and talk and talk and listen and listen and listen. So that's what this series is. We want to practice this thing. Amen. So we talked about compassion and we talked about listening to the voice of God, which will always sound like love at the end of the day. And then Daniel's buddy, Peter Ahn, came and talked to us about there's no such thing as a healthy spiritual life if we don't have a healthy emotional life. They are intertwined and they are one and the same. You cannot have peace spiritually if you don't know how to find peace emotionally. That's a practice that we cultivate. And then we also talked about generosity. Last week, Pastor Daniel was talking about generosity. This is something that we practice, and it comes from our understanding of the generosity of God. Today, last week, week five, we're going to close this thing out before we start um, our next season. We're going to talk about a word that you all know. It was a word that was in the text. It's a word that I assume, or actually I know for a fact that each of you use every single day, hope. What the heck is hope? I hope, I hope the, I hope the 49ers win later today. I hope I get a, I hope I get a date for Valentine's Day. I, I hope school's canceled on Monday. I hope, I hope life turns out the way I want it. I hope I live a fulfilled, purposeful life. I hope my mom stays healthy. I hope things change. We say it all the time. It's this gigantic word. See, some words and some of these other practices, we might have had to do some convincing from the Pope. We might have had to say, no, things like generosity actually do matter. They are important. They are central to who we understand God to be. Except hope, 
Hope actually is a little bit different. We all kind of intuitively understand that hope is one of those things that we want. We all understand intuitively that hope is something that is good. And we all intuitively understand that hope, as elusive as it is, is a good thing. You could interview any, any, any of the 7.8 billion people on this globe. And if you said, uh, you know, how do you feel about hope? No one, no one would say, ah, no, I'm good off that. I'm cool. I don't need that. No one. So at some level, we all understand that hope is a good and beautiful thing that we want to have. So the question changes from, is this good? How, what do we want with it? And the question shifts. So this is the question this morning. In what ways am I thinking about hope? In what ways am I thinking about hope in a way that's actually trapping me and keeping me from the journey that is hope? I'll say that again. In what ways am I thinking about hope? Or in what ways am I saying the word hope that is actually holding me back from experiencing and practicing true Christian hope? Do you see the difference? Thank you for participating with me this morning. That is, a, that is a rare gift sometimes at this place. Actually, I'm gonna go, go on a quick tangent. I think oftentimes, church, we run the risk of thinking that when we come to church and folks sit here, we just start spectating as if we can hear a word from God by spectating. But spectating is what you do at a performance. Spectating is what you do at a theater. Spectating is what you do when there's entertainment. I'm not up here to entertain. And so I want you to participate with me rather than just watch me. And that has nothing to do with me or my ego. I'm just simply trying to say that when there's a proclaimed word of God, even from a really ordinary average dude like little old me, that you are going to have to do some work too to figure it out. So participate with me. I'm bringing all that I have. And it may not be much this morning, but I want you to also bring all that you have. Amen. Are y'all with me? All right, there we go. I mean that. And this... This brother helped me get there because I usually don't say that because I get a little nervous and I let you dictate what I'm about to say based on what I heard God saying. I don't want to do that this morning because I heard from God. What would it mean that in the length of a sermon someone might get free? So the question is, what are the ways I'm thinking about hope that might actually be trapping me and holding my ankle from me getting on that journey towards practicing hope? What are the ways I'm thinking about hope that might actually be trapping me and preventing me from getting towards a practice of hope? So we pick up in chapter 8 of Romans. If you were one of those Bible nerds, I'm not saying I'm one, but I'm just saying if you were one, uh, you would know that, that Romans chapter 8 is sort of, kind of, a little bit maybe the center of the center of the center. By that I mean Romans chapter 8 is the climactic conclusion of a section, namely chapters 5 through 8, in Romans, which is this climactic book and conclusory, definitive, exhaustive book that Paul's trying to name his most clear theology. Are y'all with me? So when I say chapter 8 is the center of the center of the center, I mean it's this climactic conclusion of this one section in this one book where Paul is trying to lay out most clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's where we're picking up this morning. And we get to this word, these weird words really, about hope. 
about hope. If you're a nerd, you also know there's this guy named N.T. Wright who talks a lot about Paul. And he says chapters 5 through 8 in Paul can most clearly be summed up as Paul's clearest understanding of hope. Chapters 5 through 8, this is where we pick up. And yet, when we go to the text, we find some things that are a little bit unclear, huh? Whole creation groaning with childbearing pains. Not only creation, but we, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So it's not as if we're groaning and we don't have the Spirit. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the dibs, dibs on the Spirit of God. And yet here we are groaning, groaning inwardly, the text says, while we wait for adoption. Adoption is just one of Paul's more obscure metaphors to talk about redemption, to talk about our incorporation into the life of Christ. Our adoption and the redemption of our bodies. This is what we hope in. And then he snaps and says something I don't really understand. Hope that is seen. This is the BKC translation. Big whoop. Hope that is seen. Big whoop. Hope that you can see and envision. Big whoop. For who hopes for what you can see? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So I want us to sit for just a second because I think if we slow down and we, we can see that, that Paul, this word hope, in the Greek, elpis, elpis, hope, is always, always organized and structured around another reality that we might call groaning. In other words, the reality of groaning, the reality of despair, the reality of hopelessness is intimately, intimately connected with the reality of hope. I'll say that again. I think that Paul is trying to get us to see the reality that groaning and despair and hopelessness and brokenness and uncertainty, groaning is intimately connected with the practice of hope. Interesting. In other words, you will never, ever, ever, check me out on this if I'm wrong, find me a place in Paul's writings where he talks about hope without, in the next couple sentences, before or after, talking about suffering and groaning. You will not find it. And yet that actually seems to fly in the face of how we use the word hope, or at least how I use the word hope. And so here, there's primarily two traps. This is the first trap that I think Paul is trying to get us free from. When I was writing this, I was kind of thinking of, I, I picture us, we get caught in this trap by the ankle. And I feel like Paul, what Paul's trying to do is just spring that trap free, that we might actually experience and practice hope. Here's the first trap. Many of you are walking around your days, and many of you come in here and sit this morning thinking that you can't have hope because you groan. You are walking around here thinking and having the misconception that hope is supposed to deliver us away from, I'm being specific with my language here, move you away from despair. Careful. 
we have this idea, and I think it's the wrong idea. We have this misconception that if we are in fact wounded, that if we are in fact beaten, that if in fact we are suffering, that if life has been really hard, harder than you could even articulate, then you cannot have hope. That it's, a, it's, for, it's foreclosed. It's beyond me. That is for those other people who do not experience what I experience. But me who suffer, who suffers, who's injured, who's got a lot of mess, who's really regular externally, but internally, if y'all saw half the stuff, hope's beyond me. Many of us move through the world with this basic assumption, ready? This is what I'm trying to say, that hope is the avoidance of despair. That's a trap. Be free of that this morning. That hope is the avoidance of despair. That hope is the avoidance of despair. And yet Paul seems to recognize that suffering and despair actually is the birthplace of true hope. Have you thought about that? That despair is the birthplace of true hope. Not only are they deeply interwoven and interconnected, but you actually can't have one without the other. Have you ever thought about that? That you can never actually tap into true hope if you haven't been tapped into true suffering. That is true external to you. That is also true of your own experience. If you have not really reckoned with and sat with the ways in which you suffer, the ways in which this thing freaking sucks, you will never, ever, ever, ever be able to tap into true hope. It will be superficial. It will be, it will be naive at best. And it will be an illusion at worst. That hope will be. You will never know the depth of the healing work that God has for you if you do not reckon with the depth to which you are injured. If you don't stare face to face with your confusion, with your depression, with your fear, with your insecurity, with your uncertainty, with your shame, if you have never been quiet enough in your own life to hear that groan that comes from that quiet place, you will never know hope. If you've never been in a place where you sincerely, truly, in your most genuine expression say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you've never been there, I'm not talking to you. But if you have, you're closer to hope than the people who haven't experienced that. Church, church, Christian hope. I'm not talking about all that other stuff that we call hope. Hope about the Super Bowl, hope about a partner or whatever. That's all cool. But Christian hope is never, ever, ever the avoidance of despair. Instead, hope actually always journeys through despair. If you sit with that image for just a second, you will see that avoiding something goes away from it. It disconnects it. It disattaches from it. It disconnects from it. When you go through something, you reckon with it and you find your way through. That's what hope does. Hope enters, enters, use that language. Hope always enters into despair, into the ways in which you suffer and feel grief and are disappointed. 
and comes out the other side. It, is, it does not turn the other direction and go away. It does not avoid your feelings of despair. And I think, right, if we actually observe this, I think you will find this to be true. If, if you show me a person with true, genuine, anchored hope, right? these people are rare, but we, we, we know them, right? You can think of historical figures. If you show me someone of deep hope, I will show you someone who has suffered more than you could imagine. Is that not true of all of these figures who we who hold up as luminaries of hope? Show, show somebody who, it's the same way with love. Show me somebody who loves greatly. And I will show you somebody who has reckoned deeply with fear. Always, always, that is the pattern. That is how it goes. There's never trust somebody who parrots around hope and they have not despaired. There is no faithful person who has not doubted. Similarly, there is no hopeful person that has not despaired. I'm belaboring the point, but y'all see it. That's a trap, and we fall into it, and we fall into it every, every, every day. But actually, despair actually serves a function. It actually tells you that you are, in fact, alive, that this is not the way it has to be. Dylan, when you said that earlier, when, you, when, you, when I heard the anger in your voice, and you said, I'm angry, it's because there's something in you, and I think something in all of us, that says, this is not the way it has to be. This is not the only way. I refuse to believe. I refuse to just be adjusted to the way that this world is. It's not the only way. What tells you that? What is, in that? what is that in you that stirs up and says, this isn't it? This isn't right. This isn't cool. This isn't good. This isn't just. This isn't beautiful. That's wrong. What they're doing over there is wrong. What we're participating in is wrong. What is that in you? That's that tension. That's that tension between knowing that something can be different and knowing what it is now. Is that not the tension between despair and hope? Hope apart from the reality of suffering is naivete and sinful delusion. It means you're not paying attention. Dylan, I want to pay attention with you. If you're not paying attention to the world, if you're not paying attention, you might not feel despair at when you look around and all you see is poverty. If you're cool with that, you're asleep. If you're cool with what's wrong, you're asleep. Or you're living a delusion. But we who have the spirit, what is Paul's language? Groan. We who have the Spirit, the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly, waiting for the redemption, not of some pie in the sky, but of our bodies, of the wholeness that we embody, of the totality of the lives we live. That's trap number one. Are y'all with me? Hope does not avoid despair. It goes right through it and comes out the other side. Be free of that trap this morning. Trap number two. This one's even more sneaky. This one's sneakier because the thing that's actually trapping you isn't even a bad thing. It's a good thing. Did you know that you can, you can have good things trap you by missing the best thing? Watch this. The second trap is that we reduce hope 
to vision. We reduce and we conflate hope and hopefulness to the experience of having vision. Having vision. We confuse hope with having vision. And this is sneaky because vision, if you've ever had a season where you've had vision, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? To be able to envision what could be possible in the future. Some seasons, I've got a lot of vision. I, I can almost tangibly see what this little church might be one day. I can tangibly see what this community in West Humboldt Park might one day be. I can tangibly, concretely, almost palpably see what this world and this country might actually be one day. That's vision. What a gift from the Spirit. That's a gift, is it not? Right, and this is what we mean sometimes when we see young people, right? We see like a, a 12 or 13-year-old with potential, and we say, what do we say? She gives me hope. Th- that little girl gives me hope for the future. But what are we saying when we say that? It's a beautiful thing. What we're saying is we actually envision something in her. We're seeing something for the future that is coming to fruition in her. What it really means is that we see a future in them and through them. That's vision. Beautiful. It's not hope. Who are the people we think of when we think of extraordinarily hopeful figures? Martin Luther King Jr., maybe. Desmond Tutu, Nelson Mandela, uh, Ida B. Wells, Harriet Tubman. Luminate people who are deeply, 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 I believe, hopeful. Hopeful people. But also it's that we sense that they could see something that the rest of us couldn't see. And that was true about them too, wasn't it? It's no doubt that Martin saw a dream that we couldn't see, that we yet don't see. That's a part of vision. Is it connected to hopefulness? Yeah. It is, but it's not conflated with, and it is not reducible. Hope is not reducible to vision. Do you think, let's just take Martin Luther King Jr. for an example, do we think that he was constantly and continually filled with vision? Have you thought about that? Do you think he was? I don't know. I bet you he had some dry seasons. I bet you he couldn't see past tomorrow some days. I bet you when he was getting beat on those marches, getting bit by dogs, I think he couldn't see past three days. But that's not to say he didn't have hope. That just means he didn't have vision. And what about you? Let me talk to you for a second. If we're honest, most of us, and this is me, I'll just speak to myself. Most of us are in a season where we actually can't see too far in advance. I had a friend this week call me and ask, so what do you see for yourself in the next couple years? Now, usually I actually feel like I got the gift of envisioning some things sometimes. But this week, this season, the past two weeks, especially for me, I said, look, I don't see anything, to be honest with you. That's literally what I said. I said verbatim, I said, I cannot see past tomorrow for my own life. I really can't. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. I don't know if I want to preach. I don't know if I'm even doing ministry. Why am I living in Chicago? I don't know. I want to move to L.A. What am I doing? Some seasons you will not have vision. Does that mean you cannot be practicing hope? If so, we're sunk. If so, we are lost. So I wonder if any of you, I can't even 
imagine. I don't have any vision about what my life will look like next year. I don't know who I'm going to end up with. I don't know what job I want to do. I cannot envision how this election cycle is going to turn out. I can't envision. I can't envision a future for my family. I can't envision a future where I finally break free from these toxic cycles. I cannot even envision not drinking every night. I can't even envision a time where I'll be happy. I cannot envision a time where I will finally get a full night of sleep. Those are good things, but that's vision. And sometimes, if we're honest, we don't have vision. And because of that, the mistake we make is that we feel resigned and consigned to hopelessness, don't we? Because we don't have any vision for the future, we just assume that hope is just for those anointed people like Martin Luther King Jr., those people who, 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 who somehow, by the power of the Spirit, had hope. But I'm trying to say that hope can't be reduced to our ability to see. And literally, this happened to me this week. I'll share personally. I had no idea what to say up here as of yesterday at 4.25 p.m. Won't he, won't he do it? But why was that? Why was that? Because I was getting tripped up on the second trap thinking that because I cannot see, I have nothing to say or practice about hope. Because I could not envision any kind of word because I was not feeling it. Because I was not feeling it and I'm truly not feeling it. I wasn't feeling it yesterday. I still don't really feel it. I don't feel hope. So I was getting tripped up thinking because I don't feel it, I have nothing to say about hope. And I'm staring at the text and I'm praying and I'm walking around my little room and I'm listening to these worship songs and I'm calling friends and I'm FaceTiming people like, what the heck am I going to say? And then I finally just sit there and look at the text. Ten hours it took me yesterday. We hope. We hope. Not in what we see. Hoping in what you see. My translation, big whoop. For we hope, we hope for what we do not see. Hope cannot be reducible to what we see. That's another way of saying vision. Are y'all with me? And so I got good news. I came here to tell maybe just one or two or three people some good news. That you who despair, you who despair, you who despair, you who are weary and weak and wounded, wondering if there will ever be in a time in your life where you will not feel this terrible. You who have lost so much. You who are tired and sick, and as Ida B. Wells said, sick and tired of being sick and tired. You who are troubled by the world as it is. You who groan in your inner being, in your secret place, you who despair, you are on your way towards hope. You need not avoid your despair. Though it feels like you are maybe trapped in a cave, though it feels like you are trapped in a cave, God is trying to tell you this is not a cave. This is just a tunnel. And I will see you through to the other side. You may not see it, and you may not feel it, and you may not have any vision about it. 
And yet what we thought was the cave, God is trying to say, sweetheart, it's a tunnel. Light comes through the other side if you just work through it. Don't turn around. Don't avoid it. What we thought was the cave, what we thought was burying us, is really our pathway to hope. You who cannot also, secondly, see a future for yourself, for your family, for your neighborhood, for your world, for this church, for your dreams. You who can't see too far ahead. Take heart. Take heart. Take heart. You know why? Because hoping in what you can see, big whoop, big whoop, it'll come and go with the seasons. That's vision and that's a beautiful gift, but it's not hope. When you can't see a thing, take, take heart. When your vision gets blurry, take heart. And so what then is hope, if not an avoidance of despair, if not an avoidance of the things that get us caught up and stuck? Well, I kind of came up with a definition. Can I share it with you? This took me about 14 hours yesterday for, for one lousy little sentence that doesn't even get it. Are you ready? If you're a note-taking type, write this down. Hope is the dynamic, active, passionate expectation. There's a word we haven't used yet, but that's what I'm trying to say hope is. Expectation. Let me start over because I started rambling. The dynamic, active, passionate expectation for what has been made possible in Christ. Hope is. Hope is the dynamic, active, passionate expectation for what has been made possible in Christ. That is so different than what you can feel or what you can see or what you're going through. It is an expectation that God will make good on what God has said. It is the expectation that in spite of what I feel, in spite of what all the details and the data show me about my world, God will keep God's promises. Hope is active expectation. It is what it is. If God said it, God will do it. He will not leave me or forsake me. He will not leave you or forsake you. You see how that's different? Hope is about expecting that God will do what God promised to do. Hope is about expecting that God is in the work of redeeming the entire cosmos and at the center of that redemptive work are redeemed children of God. That's you and me. Hope is about actively expecting that when God says, I will not leave you, that God will not leave you. Ever. God will not leave you to your own devices. God will not leave you to your own predicament. Hope is about actively expecting that when Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow, it means expect to not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Hope is about actively expecting that when Jesus says, take heart, you may take heart knowing that Jesus has overcome the world, though it will give you trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the world. 
Hope is about expecting that when it looks as though all is lost, that this cannot be the end. Death can never have the last word for us. It can't. Hope, hope expects that. Hope demands that. Hope says this, this cannot be the end. I refuse to believe that. I refuse that. No matter what, death may not have the last word, not in this world, not in my life. That's hope. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. If God said God is with you, God is with you until the end. Period. That's hope. And so it's hope then, River City, that led Paul. Remember I told you this was the grand conclusion of his most important little section in all of his writing. It's what leads Paul finally then to be like, I'm convinced. I've said all of this and I've gone through everything I've gone through. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've almost been hanged. I'm about to get killed. I've been beaten and whipped. I've been mocked. And I'm convinced that in all of this, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor present, nor future, nor power, nor principalities, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation can what? Can separate us from the love of our Lord and Jesus Christ. That's hope. I expect that. We expect that. I passionately, actively expect that. For me in my spiritual life, that must be the truth. That's hope. That's hope. That's hope. So, I hope one of those two things, may that set you free this morning. That you don't have to avoid despair. You don't have to have vision and you can still practice hope. Because to practice hope is to expect, to expect that God will make good on what God has said. In your life, in the life of the world, and in all things, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. That's hope. It is. Someone called me hippity-dippity the other day and I took that personally. And I prefer the term, a mystic. I'm mystical. So sometimes I like to rely on the words of, you know, those people on the fringes, like the poets and the prophets. I admit that. This is not hippity-dippity, it's mystical. So can I say that when the poet Emily Dickinson said, hope is like that thing with feathers perched in your soul, Oh, this will bless somebody, the other mystic in here. Hope is like that thing with feathers that's perched in your soul that sings the song without words. Can you kind of, some of you will picture that. The logical people, y'all won't get that. But the mystics in here know that when Emily Dickinson says hope is singing the song without the words, mm, you feel that one. I couldn't have said it like that myself. But, 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 but singing the song without words, 
That's something like not avoiding despair. That's something like not having vision and hoping anyway. Singing without knowing the words. Hoping that. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, my hope is built on nothing less than the blood of Jesus and his righteousness. I dare not, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean, but wholly lean, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Come on. Join across the aisle, come together, grab somebody's hand. Everybody's hand, actually. That is not an order, it is a request. It is a hope. It is a hope I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, don't do that, man. Hey, man. Yeah. Church, you are the body of Christ. You are, whether you know it or not. Whether you feel it or not, whether you can see it or not, you are the body of the living God, alive and at work in the world, through you, in you, for you, and for the world. You know, Paul closes, and I'll close with this benediction in Romans 15. He says, may the God of hope, may the God of hope, church, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him, that you may overflow with hope that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the church and in the world. Friends, be convinced this morning that nothing, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. So go in peace, go in love, go in hope. Amen and amen.